3: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is the Tom Sumner program, and as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to shift gears a little bit, move from talking about physical health to emotional and spiritual health with the author of a new book called Awakened by Grace, Chronic Grief and Self-Condemnation, Healing and Faith. And it's... uh, Written by my guest this hour, uh, Darlene West, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Darlene. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me, Tom. Um,
3: Darlene, this book is uh, uh, called Literary Fiction. Uh, It it doesn't really fit into a genre. It's it's a character-driven story more than plot-driven. But how did the idea for this book come about?
1: When I used to um, street evangelize, and I used to go to mental hospitals for uh, bringing the Bible studies to them, I learned that there's a lot of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, who have a lot of self condemnation in them, and are suffering from chronic grief, and it, it may not just be from a, a, a person that you know that they loved that passed away. But it could be, it was from, you know, maybe a divorce or from, um, you know, financial, losing their jobs, financial, you know, they get themselves into a financial hole. It was really quite touching. My heart just went out to these people when I would minister to them. And I just knew that I needed to help them somehow. And not that. You know, you could be fine today and don't have any issues, and maybe in the future you'll face something that's very tragic, and you can't face it on your own. You know, of course, you reach up to the Lord for it. But what I'm saying is is that there are a lot of people out there that are suffering, even today, especially today with our what's going on in our nation and how people are, you know... They're depending on some jobs that are being, you know, taken away from them. Like, for an example, I was listening on a Christian news show, Flashpoint, that out of the 80,000 people that lost their jobs over the pipeline are being canceled, they, um, 13 people had committed suicide. So this is a very strong um, issue out in our nation right now. You may even have a, a son or a daughter that um, may have committed suicide or doing drugs or something. And it's just, and a lot of people blame themselves. That that's the, that's the saddest part. They have so much guilt inside of them. So that's what laid in my heart that I needed to write something on the subject.
3: You use two different terms almost interchangeably, um, self-condemnation and guilt. Are they the same thing?
1: I would say this, you can have, well, I would say they're very close
3: to each other.
1: Um, Self condemnation is you completely condemn yourself for doing something wrong. It's all your fault or something that you never, you didn't do wrong, that you did something by mistake or something happened or it's an accident. And I think guilt is just part of it. It it, it interchanges with it. I, I believe that guilt goes right into. It's self-condemnation because you feel guilty about something that you've done.
3: Let me, let me ask this. Is um, guilt attached to a, a past act or behavior and self-condemnation perhaps is tied in some way to a person's self-esteem and what they think of themselves? Not necessarily driven by something they've done.
1: Ooh you know that that's a great revelation I think that is I think that's exactly where you put it um, I couldn't have put it any better yes um, you can have a, a bad viewpoint about yourself insecurities can trigger something like that you know um, somebody telling you all your life that you're no good um, you'll never amount to anything and, and then you can condemn yourself I can't amount to anything I'm no good, I can't do that job, I'm no good. Yes, I, I understand what you're saying, and guilt is something which you have done, and I-
3: You blame yourself for something that's happened.
1: Yeah. yes, yes, and then at the same time, my character, Franklin, Franklin, Professor Franklin, should I say, he um, had insecurities as well because of his relationship with his father,
3: Darlene, I love that name by the way. Thank you. Franklin Franklin. Um and and spelled two different ways. Yes. That's what's that's part of what's fun about it. Um what made you decide instead of writing case studies of of different people that you'd met even if it was anonymously? Um what made you decide to tell a single person's story to turn this into a novel.
1: Well, that's a very good question, and I appreciate that question. It's very. I could have done a nonfiction book on this subject. I could have gone out and done. I, I'm a technical writer by trade because of my uh, master's degree and my professional work that I did. That I'm retired from now. But you see, one, as an adult educator, I'm an adult educator. And as an adult educator, you, um, let me see, you have different tools in that toolbox of yours to help train people and teach them. And one of the tools, the most memorable tool there is that I enjoy the most, is storytelling. And storytelling, you can relate to it. And then you can see how that person dealt with that problem that you may be dealing with, an issue similar to it, and you can relate to it and see, well, how they get it out. And what it does, it it, it helps you not only, you know, see, look inside of yourself as you're reading it or as you're listening to the story or as you're watching it on TV, a movie or go to a movie theater and, and watch it in the movies you can relate it to yourself and turn yourself inside out and talk to yourself actually, you know, but it's memorable too. You can remember a story better than I call Like if you go to a class and you for an exam, well, that is memorization and regurgitation in my eyes. And what you do is when well, after you regurgitate it, you leave the class after you do that test and you walk away and, and it's gone. Most of it is already gone. It's going as you're walking away. It's starting to leave. So I prefer to tell stories. Like one time, may I share a story with you?
3: Absolutely.
1: One time when I was in a a TESOL class teaching uh, English as a second language, I told a story about Frederick Douglass. And I emphasized on the word emancipation. And as I told the story, there was a man who was um, in my class who was there for a mere three weeks here in our nation. He was Russian-speaking. So what happened was, on our next class, he came in and he raised his hand and he said, I will be emancipated. When I learned English, well, not only did he get the the word, understand the word, but he was able to apply it to himself, to a story that I told. Even though it was a nonfiction story, which I'll tell a lot of nonfiction stories. um, Even though it was a nonfiction story, it was a story about this man's life, Frederick Douglass. And so he grabbed onto that word and it became, he was able to apply it to his own life, and his own issues. And this is what I like to do. That's why I like to write stories instead of doing it in a research f- fashion. And here's the strategy, strategies. Here's some strategies to live with chronic grief, you know, um, versus here's this man that had chronic grief, self-condemnation, guilt, hopelessness in his life. And you may have that same thing today and you're reading the story about man, and you're looking from the outside into your own soul
3: and your own spirit. Is this your first book?
1: This is my first book that's published. Um, I wrote one other novel, but what happened was I didn't save it at the time.
5: Oh, um, boy.
1: I, I, anything, else but, uh, Ouch. anything else but my hard drive and it, my last chapter, the whole computer crashed. So.
3: Oh, no. Yeah.
1: It's, so I really saved my my manuscripts on a lot of
3: <laughs> memory
1: sticks now. How <laughs> so long did
3: it take you to write this book?
1: It took me nearly three years.
3: And um, when when was or was it released, or will it be released?
1: It was actually released last year, March second. Okay. Twenty twenty, but of course, COVID came. And um, I hadn't been able to introduce the book to you know, the public yet, but now I can.
3: Well, that's, that's interesting. Um, the, um, you talk a lot, well, you talk about chronic grief and self-condemnation, but you also mention healing and faith. Why did you word it that way and not, for example, healing through faith?
1: Actually, um, yes, you're right. It's healing through faith. I didn't write that line. My um, publicist wrote that line. I would have written healing through faith myself. But I just just wonder,
3: Darlene, if you think people can heal that maybe aren't faithful or think of their spirituality different than Christians do.
1: I, I believe that you can heal through different means, but the, the total healing, but you'll always have that guilt inside of you. Um, I believe that as you can move on in life. Um, for an example, I, I did suffer chronic grief with my first son. I lost him to um, SIDS infant death syndrome right right and yeah he was two months old and um i didn't have i I was i had pieces in my head not in my heart yet and i was able to i mean i suffered through it great suffering and i went through shock for three weeks i couldn't even hear people's voices it was like people's um when they were talking to me it was like their voices were bouncing off my ears. I couldn't make out what they were saying, really. It was like a big echo chamber. And I and, and it was just one big mass of voices in my head. So um, I learned how to move on without him. But inside of me, I always questioned if I had done this or done that, would he still be alive? But it was not my... Um, it wasn't my fault, it's called Southern Death, you know, syndrome, it's a syndrome, that they're still, they're learning more and more about it now, and then back then, because this was 40 years ago. So, anyhow, um, when I found Christ, that's when I was able to grow, you know, into a, point where it was not my fault. I understood more, and I understood what was going on, and I believe that the faith that I have today was able to, you know, bring me out of such a dark moment
3: in Darlene, my life. I hate to interrupt, but I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more?
1: Sure, I can. Thank Great. you.
3: Great. We'll be right back.
1: Hello, darling. This
2: is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
5: Joe Bye from the Blue Hions. Dan Sterling.
4: Congressman Dan Kildee, Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Jonah Navode. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow.
5: State Senator Jim Annonic,
4: comedian Brian McCree.
5: The
0: unknown comic Mark
5: Farner.
3: And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend.
5: You have always got great questions and you know the material and you and you care about it, and it's uh it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey Tom, this is my favorite interview always.
6: visit mi.gov slash ag complaints for your connection to consumer protection
3: hello this is state senator jim Ananik, and you're listening to the tom sumner program and welcome back everybody we continue our conversation with the author of uh, a new book called awakened by grace chronic grief and self-condemnation healing and faith and it's by um Darlene West, who joins me by phone, Darlene, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that.
1: Oh no, I I, I really enjoyed some of those commercials. They're pretty funny. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, they were pretty good.
3: Um, we were talking about um, self condemnation and and guilt, and and I read something uh, related to your book. Um, and, and this may be a quote from you, um, it says, you don't need to walk through life with guilt weighing you down. While guilt can be a means to salvation, it is a cross no one needs to bear. Isn't guilt an important way that we humble ourselves before God?
1: I believe that guilt doesn't come from God It can humble ourselves, you know, when we've done something that is, you know, that's sin or unpleasing to God, yes, we want to repent. But I think guilt, the guilt that I'm talking about is the guilt that um, is not the the kind that's humbling. The guilt is you're um, condemning yourself for something that's really not your fault you're condemning yourself for, you're, you're guilty about something that you're not liable. For. You've done, you've done no wrong. And yet the blame is all on you. It's me. I'm the bad person. I'm the one that's done the wrong. And um, yes, it is guilt of actual doing something wrong of sin would lead you to God. But the kind of guilt I'm, I was, talking about in my novel is the one that it's not um, something that you've done wrong or done or sinned or uh, anything that's actually of your fault. But it's something that you conjure up in your own mind that it's your fault.
3: You said that this book was at least inspired by some of the evangelical work that you did in mental hospitals and in other places uh, where people were wrestling with grief and, and uh, guilt and self-condemnation. Um, are you still evangelizing?
1: Oh, yeah. I, I'm not out in the streets in a formal way, but um, wherever I go, um, when God tells me to talk to somebody, somebody will come up to me sometimes and just start talking to me and asking me questions, and I don't even know where they're coming from. And then the Lord straightens it out for me in my in my heart, and I'm able to minister to them. I could be in the grocery store. Yes, I still evangelize it. I once you got once God gives you a gift to do do something, and I believe I'm evangelizing through the, my novel. Um, I know I could reach thousands of people through my novel, and evangelize them, and they can learn you know, about the Lord through my novel and come to Christ even. Or they could just grow in their own faith as a Christian. And so that, to me, is all evangelizing.
3: Now, the story of uh, Franklin Franklin that you tell in the book Awakened by Grace, um, is this somewhat like a coming-of-age story, only maybe a, a, a story of being born again?
1: um actually it's more than a story of being born again it's a story of learning how to cope with some realities in your life of learning that Jesus is there to lean on um the you know i would But this say, happens you know, but this happens
3: I, for Franklin Franklin in um, a, a kind of a different way. Um, it's, well, it's not exactly clear to me if he's hit rock bottom, but but his, his turnaround really begins because of the influence of his grandchildren, or his grandchild.
1: Yes, and I chose the grandchild because I'm a grandmother, I'm a granny, they call me granny. And there's a lot of influences grandchild can have on your life. It is nothing like it. I mean, having a grandchild is, it's like my husband, and I sit there and think, how can you bypass the kids? Only oh, kidding. Um, we love our children. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the grandchildren, my grandkids just left a few days ago. They were here from Texas and they're now 17 and 19. And they're, um, it's just a special relationship between a grandparent and a grandchild. And it's something that's so, if you're a grandparent, you can understand what I'm saying. It's hard to put it in words. It's just something so special and so different than when you're raising your own child. It's, you know, you can have fun with them. You can play with them. You can do things with them and then you send them home and you relax with your spouse and, and you could do you know, continue on with your life alone at home. But um it's that's why I picked his granddaughter because well, for example, my husband and my granddaughter that's his princess. And he loves our grandson just as much, but Calista, my granddaughter, is his princess. I mean, that's complete princess. My grandson and I He's my little king. I call him my king. I've been calling him my king since he was two. And so, um, but I love my granddaughter just as much. But there's just such a, a relationship between, it. you can't say no to the grandchild. You can say no to, uh, as easy as you can say no to your own child. And so I I planted the granddaughter there so that the granddaughter can speak to his heart He's pushing his own daughter away from him. He's pushing his son-in-law away from him. He's pushing his brother-in-law away from him. But the granddaughter, he's not going to tell a little eight-year-old, I don't want you here because I'm guilty, (laughs) you know?
3: Well, why did (laughs) Professor Franklin blame himself for his wife's tragic death to begin with that caused him to push the people around him away?
1: Because he felt as though he murdered his wife um, over a gallon of milk. I, um, he felt if he didn't stop for that gallon of milk, his wife would still be alive. And over a gallon of milk, he says, I lost my wife over a gallon of milk.
3: Just because he was late getting home or thought if he'd gotten home sooner or something?
1: Yes, yes. If he had listened to her, she told him to go straight home. He said, the Lord said, go straight home. And he didn't listen. And so that's where it just dug into his spirit. I'm guilty. I killed my wife over a gallon of milk. I mean, what a thought, <laughs> over a gallon of milk. So um, this is where it all comes in. And he didn't want his family to find out that he murdered his wife. Because it was their mother and their grandmother.
3: And and he really thought of it in those terms?
1: Yes. Yes. That's the way he thought of it. He didn't think of it as, you know, a mistake or, you know, um, he thought that he murdered her. He was a murderer and he was guilty. And, in fact, as you can read, I don't know, um, in the second chapter, he's really lost it. In the third chapter, I mean, he even cries out and um, after he has a conversation with his brother-in-law, he just doesn't understand what I'm going through. I mean, I don't remember the exact words right there in that spot. I mean, it was something on that note.
3: With um, the character, uh, Professor Franklin Franklin, um was he a composite of people you had met when you were evangelizing and and did his story come from things that other people had shared with you
1: yes bits and pieces um the death part i wanted to give him the worst scenario that he could that i could think of something that is so incredibly stupid you know over a gallon of milk at the same time so tragic so that he could just involve yes i did pick up some things um people who wanted to kill themselves one woman i met she was in the mental hospital i mean most of the people that i met in the mental hospitals were there not because they were out of their minds is because of chronic grief or depression and self-condemnation insecurities. They felt, I mean, they had even, you know, somebody might've told them all their life, you're no good. There's nothing you can ever do. You'll never amount to anything. Or, you know, most of them came into life, um, came into these hospitals because of this. And then I met people on the streets felt that, God would never accept them because they were they they did so much bad. Um, I met one guy that told me that it was too late for him. He could never never come to Christ because he was so bad that Christ wouldn't want him. His sins were so um, bad. And I mean, Paul was a murderer. He killed Christians. I mean, he was an out and out murderer, but he was a murderer for Christians. And look at he look at he was, you know, the one that wrote all these epistles, most of them. And God chose him and changed the man that was so adamant about killing Christians and imprisoning them. And so he changed that person's mind and that heart and came to he came, he said Lord. You know, as soon as he said the word Lord, he had gotten saved before he even finished talking what were you having to do so but people think that i'm not good enough yeah that's where i i i took little bits and pieces of these people and i created um, franklin
3: and and this was based on on the stories that you had been told and so on when you were were writing this book did you have um Darlene and and outline things points that you wanted to make in each chapter or or did the book sort of I don't want to use the phrase write itself but it does kind of seem like that when you sit down and you start writing and it just it just keeps going and going
1: yeah it, it kind of it wrote itself um actually when I start writing I go into another world um, when I'm writing like my husband would say, um, he would cook dinner that night. I, I, we both cook for each other, and um, I would, you say dinner will be ready in 15 minutes. I said, okay, I'll only be 15 more minutes when you come into my office, and oh, three hours later I come out, and I think it's only 15 minutes, and um, it became a you know, little joke around our house that. Don't um expect it to come out in fifteen minutes, you know, no matter <laughs> what I say. But I even write I write the book, I'd never put an outline out. I'm not organized like that. But more I prayed, I would write the book in my mind when I'm not writing too. I would lay down in bed to go to sleep and all of a sudden I start writing the book in my mind. And um I would go into my husband be and talking to me or a friend or another family member, and I just go into another world because I start writing in my mind. But that's how I, but when I sit down at the keys, it just came right out.
3: Were and you, really did, did you keep notes and things when you when you were writing in your head, or were you able to keep those thoughts in your head for the next time you sat down and started to write?
1: Well, see, that's the miracle of it. I was able to keep the thoughts in my head. Um, It it was actually in my heart, I believe, it was coming from the Lord. And when, um, yeah, when I write, even when I write um, something for, um, you know, somebody's going to interview me, they would like me to answer some questions for them on paper. And um, it just comes out, I pray, and then all of a sudden it just comes out. I believe it's just a gift of it, part of the gift of evangelizing that God gave me. And I had it fine tuned in college with learning, you know, fiction writing and technical writing and even journalism. I learned how to write um, in journal, you know, for a newspaper or a magazine. Um, so God taught me that in college. And then I took these skills and then what? guys pouring into my heart I put it on the paper
3: now that this book is out of course you'll you'll be spending some time promoting it doing interviews like this and and maybe uh, pandemic uh, uh, willing um, doing some book signings and readings at bookstores and things Um, but do you think you'll write another book
1: Yes, something's coming up in my heart right now. As um, soon as I get done with, you know, the virtual book tour, actually, what I'm doing if you think about it, because, you know, I can't do anything in person in most of the places that I go to. Um, I've already got one in my heart. It's about a woman who's a single mom and her son gets mixed up with the wrong uh, kids and starts doing drugs. So and I got that in my heart. I, I like to write about subjects because that's part of, you know, people learning things as through my storytelling. And I don't care for the genres because, it, well, genres are great because they could be very entertaining, as well as learning, you know, through that. But um, literary fiction gives me a bigger um, when I character, when I make it character driven, it gives me a bigger platform to actually expand on as I'm writing.
3: Well, it becomes more of a a, a character study.
1: Yes, yes. Oh, I love that. That's excellent, the way you put that.
3: um Darlene, we're we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and the book and, and your work, past, present, and, and future. Do you have a website?
1: Yes, I do, and I'm still working on uh, it. It's already completed, but I want to add more stuff to it, and I'll be working on it some more. Um, it's Darlene West dot com just my name dot com and there you can also to purchase the novel uh, it's linked into my publisher with and stock and then from there you can go into Amazon too if you want to find me um, I'm on Amazon and also to Barnes and Noble well and
3: Dar- well Darlene thank you so much for uh, sharing your story in, uh, in the book but um but also with me and the listeners this morning. It's been a, a privilege talking with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, via your guest, I really appreciate it. It was a great time. I loved your questions. They were very good. They were they prompted what I was trying to say to the people in my novel.
3: Well, keep up the good work, Darlene. Take care.
1: Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye. Again, Darlene West, she is the author of uh, a new book called Awakened by Grace, Chronic Grief and Self-Condemnation, Healing and Faith. The story of uh, Professor Franklin Franklin. I love that name. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a uh, a short break coming up in a couple of minutes, and uh, we'll be back with uh, the final segment of today's edition Of the Tom Sumner Program.
4: Outside in the pouring rain, I thought I saw a glimpse of your face. All the The rain was falling, better, better heard you say It was you, I know it was It was you,
0: right here by my side Now the rain has
4: gone away, I'm thankful for this beautiful day Though the air is fresh and clear, I somehow thought I heard you say was you I know it was it was you you're right here
0: by my side
4: And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show
5: right now. And now. And now too. And even now.
2: Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID 19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part.
6: Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported.
4: Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
5: MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
7: One by to see my minister yesterday. You know what my minister told me? He was saying how much pressure women are under from the devil and how the devil just hounds women. You know, that's rough too, being a minister. I mean, he told me, he said, you're coming here complaining about your problems and I got to wage this constant battle against the devil. I said, yeah, Rev. (laughs) He told me his wife came in the house a few days before, and she had this box, and on the side of this box was written the name of a very exclusive dress shop. The lowest dress was $85. That was on sale. (laughs) So she walks in the house, and Rev says, another dress? You bought another dress? This is ridiculous. That's the third dress this week. And his wife tells him, the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> said, I didn't want to buy no dress. The devil kept following me. I was going down the street going, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the devil kept following me, and he kept telling me how good I look. ref said, I'm not going for that. He said, every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. He said, you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car to the side of the church. <laughs> It was the devil. You wasn't there. How do you know? He grabbed the steering wheel out of my hand. Griff said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? Said, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. You can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said, and we had a big fight. And that's why I was in the back seat when y'all got the call. Griff said, well, how the devil get you to buy the dress? She said, I was going out, of t- mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the devil sneaked up behind me. Sneaked. I heard him tip it till, you know, I didn't want to look around because I knew it was the devil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the devil came up behind me, he said, he said, uh, say, mama, look at the dress in the window. He <laughs> said, that's your size, too. It's on sale, too. Got a lot of them flowers in it like you like, you know. So why don't you treat yourself to that dress? And i told him you better cut that out devil I already bought two dresses this week i'm not gonna buy no dress i'm not even gonna look at it devil said why don't you try it on I said you're not gonna charge you nothing to try it on I and mean, that's free you owe yourself a try on i said devil you better leave me alone and he shoved me in the door the devil just shoved me in that door he pushed me me in the door. I said, devil, stop it, please. (laughs) Then he shoved me over to where the dress was. I said, cut it out, devil. (laughs) Then he threatened me and made me try it on. Devil said, you gonna buy that dress? I said, I'm not buying no dress, devil. And he pulled the gun. <laughs> devil pulled a gun and he threatened me and made me sign your name to a check The <laughs> ref said, look, said, how come every time the devil makes you do something, it's something for your benefit When's the devil gonna do me a favor? And his wife tells him, he did already I asked the devil about that He said if it wasn't for him you wouldn't even have a job <laughs>
4: That's the secret, I'm
6: not sure I understand, but I like
5: the way.
3: it up for today's edition of the tom sumner program flint's own stephanie there with uh, the way he makes me feel and comedy from <laughs> i i always uh, always enjoy uh flip wilson he's he's so much fun but uh, i really enjoyed the uh, guests today on the show i hope you did too thanks again to uh, my guest this last hour author of awakened by grace um And uh, let's see, who did we have uh, before? Oh, um, Awakened by Grace uh, from Darlene West. And before that, we talked about um, uh, pelvic floor disorders with uh, Dr. Kimberly Kenton. And uh, before that, we talked with uh, PhD Emily Trinnell, neuroscientist and uh, research associate uh, for PETA. And uh, she was talking about uh, sepsis research. And we started out this morning with a fun conversation with the author of a book called Subtract the Untapped Science of Less by uh, Lydie Klotz from the University of Virginia. Up oh, there smoking George Winters, let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program starting at 9 a.m. My first guest tomorrow, and this is going to be fun, is uh, <laughs> John O'Hurley, who played Jay Peterman, Elaine's boss, on Seinfeld. We have uh, some more good stuff as well on tomorrow's show. So have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. In the meantime,